Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. So we've been spending a couple weeks in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and this will be our final week. And I, I want to give you today some of the I want to go back over how seductive it is for us to not trust God. And in order to see how seductive it is to not trust God, what we have to see is how many decisions we're making all the time. And we have to look at ourselves like we're up 5,000 feet in a balloon or an airplane, look down on ourselves, and watch how we make decisions. All right? Because we're probably not even aware of all the decisions that we're making all the time in life. And then when we begin to notice where those decisions are, then, and and, and it's interesting, a lot of people are very aware of the decisions they make about every penny. And every decision about every penny is principial. Do you understand this? In other words... Some decisions we're much more observant of making than other decisions. And we will argue and argue and argue that the way we handle our money is principled, right? And yet there are whole sections of our lives that we just sort of go on. We don't observe our decisions. We don't think of them as decisions. We just live, right? But when it comes to money, we're principled, you know. I just get so sick of what's-his-face. What's that guy's name? Dave Ramsey. (laughs) I just can't stand to listen to him. Because all his advice is good, you know, and I like how cheerful he is. And in even the most awful circumstances that call in, he always has cheerfulness. And I like the fact that he's a Christian and everything. But what I hate is that he's so popular. And the reason I hate it is because there's so much of life that by virtue of being a financial planner and counselor, he will never address with people. And you watch him and you can see that principles come up as he talks that are at the center of Christian faith and life. And it's just like, bloop. He just goes, bloop, right over that one. And then bloop, right over that one because we have a naked public square. And unless something is explicitly connected with money, you, you, you generally you jump over it because then that would scatter the sheep. You know, some sheep would go to God and some people would go to hell. And, and, and what you want is the common denominator of what? No debt. Now, that's a principle worth dying for. Now, I know if, if Dave were here, he'd say, oh, Tim, I'm very careful and here and there and... And I'd say, oh, Dave, and then he'd say, oh, Tim, and, you know, after a while, I'd say, well, I love you, and he'd say, well, I just want to honor you as as a minister of the Word, and, of course, I hate that, (laughs) you know, because anytime anybody says, I just want to honor you as a minister of the Word, I know they don't want to honor me as a minister of the Word, (laughs) you know. It's like when somebody asks you if you hold them accountable, and the one thing you know is they don't want you to hold them accountable. Don't ever ask me to hold you accountable. Won't do it. <laughs> that was, 
was pretty good. <laughs> Joni says, D don't worry. <laughs> I'll be coming for you, Joni. <laughs> okay. So let's think about decisions. And the text is what? Depending on your version, the text is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with what? How much of your heart? You've got to be gaga in the Lord, okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then the negative in Scripture is always putting the negative next to the positive. And that's the defining mark of millennials is they never want the negative, ever, ever. But God gives us a negative. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Okay? Father, we pray that you will feed us from your word and that our hearts will be quiet and still and that we will be like a weaned child in your arms as we hear you call to us to trust you with all our hearts. May the word of, words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a couple of weeks ago I said that I think that the main method that we use uh, to make decisions is what's called pragmatism. And Webster's defines pragmatism as the principle that truth, truth is to be tested, first of all, primarily by its practical consequences. So the way we know what truth is, is principally by how it works out. Okay? And so the way you know what to do is you anticipate how it's going to work out, and you make a decision based on whether the result is what you like. And it's other, you know, it can be called utilitarianism. You know, John Stuart Mill, the whole notion that what is right is what causes the greatest amount of happiness to the greatest number of people. And if you look around you from up high, from up in a balloon, 5,000 feet or so, you will see that the, the method of making a decision by deciding what it will count what will give the greatest amount of happiness to the greatest number of people. Businessman calls it a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, a mother says it's just practical, pragmatism. You will see that this controls an, an incredible amount of the decisions of the world today. It's everywhere. Now, really, if I tell you it's everywhere, and then you see it in the newspaper, you see it online, or you see it in, in some magazine article, or you hear it from your teacher, or your professor or something, or your guidance counselor at school, you're not surprised, because after all, what's everybody trying to do? Everybody's trying to produce the greatest amount of happiness for, for whom? Well, for you. And you like people that are working with you for you to be happy. And so we've replaced the language of morality, we've replaced the language of law, we've replaced the language of God's character and law with the language of what? Nobody ever talks about what is right and wrong anymore and what God's law says. What they always talk about are values, all right, 
And then they talk about making right choices. And so right choice or good choice or smart choice is a placeholder for what used to be said was the law of God. For what used to be said was right and wrong. For what used to be said was truth and error or falsehood. And so today we've gotten rid of all the absolutes. It doesn't matter if God never lies. Lies can be useful. And so forget it, you know, thou shalt not lie. And, 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 and you know, we know all kinds of things about the character of God in God's moral law and the Ten Commandments, but, but forget it. Forget it. What we need to do is what's going to work out. And so what we need to do is learn to make good choices. And by good, they don't mean morally good. They mean something, a choice that will work out well for you. And for your children, for your, for your husband, for your wife. That's pragmatism. That's utilitarianism. That's cost-benefit analysis. That's what every mother runs her life by. Now, are you going to cut me slack on that one? Women are an efficiency machine. And efficiency always goes in the direction of what is the greatest good for the greatest number of the family. She has boundaries on her goodness. You know, it's what her children, her husband, and herself that she wants. But women are so efficient. They don't have time to discuss truth, right? You ever tried to have a discussion of truth with your wife? You know? What truth is, is what amounts to the greatest number of, amount of good for the greatest number of people. Now, don't think that I'm saying that there is no place for adding up the consequences of an action. There are many things in life that a husband should shut his mouth about, all right, and that should not be decided on truth, all right? There are many things that should be decided on the basis of efficiency. There are many things that the wife should control in the home and the husband should have no opinion about. Okay? And so there's a division of responsibilities. But do you think that Adam was thinking when he decided that the family was going to go to Africa? Do you think Adam was thinking, well, what's going to lead to the greatest amount of good for the greatest number of my family? And, you know, forget my wife. I think I'll just count the children. You know, and Don, do you think Don is thinking, well, how do I know how to relate to this decision? How about if I think what will please God? Well, of course she thinks that. And when, at the beginning, that's what she told us and confessed. But the pain of her confession, you know, okay, I'm on board. I'm going to go along with my husband on this. Yes, we'll go to, I mean, come on. There are all kinds of reasons why a good wife would absolutely oppose her husband taking her to Africa, let alone the children. Right? I mean, are we so insecure we can't see all the reasons why Don is smart? (laughs) You know? But here's the deal. There is a decision to be made And even when it's children, parents, even when it's husband, wife, even when it's father, mother with children, these decisions will either be made based on our best thinking and what we think we know about what will happen, or they will be made in 
the fear and the love of God. And that's what he means when he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't trust God just for the decisions that you agree with him. Your trust in God is not to be tested by those places where you think he's pretty smart. Your trust in God is tested at the places where you are opposed. Elizabeth Elliot used to say, submission begins when you disagree. And I think that's true. You know, what's, what's to submit when your mother says you can have a cookie? Yes, mother. You know, such respect for authority. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. What we have to do is trust God when everything in us screams no. And I wanted Dawn to be up here showing you that everything in her does not want to do this because that's what's honorable. That's when we look at somebody and say, I want to be like Dawn. That's why the church is so sick today because everybody lies to everybody in the church today. Everybody acts as if we all are just good Christians who just love to trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And it's such a lie. We're just like the Israelites in the wilderness, for heaven's sakes. Why is the story of the Israelites in the wilderness in the Bible? You know, here's a clue. You have not yet entered the promised land. You're still a sojourner, you know, and you're making a mess of your life. And God is merciful and he cleans it up. So you trust the Lord with all your heart, all your might, all your soul, and then you're squirrely. As soon as you said, I'll trust you, God, then you try to modify and negotiate a partial deviation. You know, this is who we are, you know. I trusted you, God, but I had to keep my finger to the wind. I had to know which direction you were leading me because I had to anticipate your stupidity, God. I, I, cosmically, I trust you. Big, big picture, I trust you, God. But little picture, you don't have time for this, God. You know, I'll just handle this one on my own. You know, whether or not to have children after you get married. This is a decision. I'll just handle this on my own. You know. <laughs> oh, my. We're a piece of work. Every one of us, especially me. And God says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And so we... Having learned well as children, we trust the Lord with none of our heart and we lean wholly on our own understanding. And God says, trust me with all your heart and don't lean. And we say, aye, aye, sir, I'll trust you with uh, two pinches. And then three pinches of the decision will be my understanding. I'll trust you with Two cups, and then add a quarter of my... Okay, okay, I'll trust you with two cups. And one, just, just one cup, one tablespoon, you know, will be my own understanding. 
and, and we're squirrely. You know what squirrels do. They And that's the way we make decisions. So God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths what? Non-squirrely. He will make your paths straight. Now, when that is said to us, because we drive and because roads everywhere outside of New England and London are straight, we don't really appreciate straightness. You know, I always ha- I'm always convinced that if I drive from my house up to Richard's small engine and take those back roads that go directly over to Richard's small engine, that I will save time. And plus, they're pretty. Versus coming up to, and then going across on, what's that called? Yeah, Heart Straight Road. It's so boring, you know? No trees hanging over the road. You know, no fear that anybody's going to come out and get me. You know, which, those other roads, you're always aware that at any particular moment, somebody can come out and get you, you know. Okay. So, this last week I looked at my odometer, including the tenths of the mile, and drove the back way over, and then I looked at my odometer when I got to Richard's, and then I looked at it when I got home. And the, the, the part of the journey that I thought was straight turned out to be very crooked. It turned out to be over three miles longer than Hart Straight Road. Over three miles. We take straightness for granted, and we think we understand what straightness is, but God says he will make our paths straight if we trust him. And when God says something straight, it's straight. Now, how can I use the word straight today without it being sexual? You know, you got queer, you got straight. And everybody in the world says, no, I need to live my life in conformity with, with my own particularities, you know, because that's being straight, you know? No, actually, it's being crooked, and that's that's why you have the Q at the end. Because the Q at the LBTTQ is queer or questioning. Now, is queer and questioning, are those things straight? How is it, how is it that we've gotten to a point where straight is a pejorative term? It's negative. How have we gotten to that point? Well, because God is the one who makes our paths straight. And we just are rebels against God. You think about the Israelites, when they're at the edge of the promised land, God's promised the land to them, God's promised the land to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so after 400 years of slavery, God whoops up on the Egyptians, busts them loose from their, ser- ser- from their slavery, sends them out with Moses, busts up on the Egyptians again, provides them water, provides them manna, provides them quail, and precious gift of gifts, provides them Moses to put up with them. 
And so they come to the edge of the promised land. We read the text. The, 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 the spies go in. The spies come back. The spies report. And all but two of them say, we can't go in and take the promised land that we've been promised because there's giants in the land. And so they say, our kids are going to get killed. We're going to get slaughtered if we go straight in. What God said was, go straight in. But they said, no, we can't go straight in because if we go straight in, our kids are going to die and we're going to get slaughtered. Now, that is to not trust the Lord with all your heart. That is to lean on your own understanding. And so guess what happened? What happened was, think about it, they became all queer and questioning. What did they do? They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Circuitous paths. Nothing straight about it. As a matter of fact, it was God's judgment that they would just circle and circle and circle and circle. And if you listen to people today, when they talk about anything that matters, what you'll notice is that people who are crooked speak crookedly. You never know what they're actually saying. Do you understand this? They're always equivocating. They're always using this construction when they mean this. And simpletons, which is really the definition of millennials, simpletons think, well, take the man at his word. You know? And I say, Yahoo, do that. You go ahead and take the man at his word. And so you do what his equivocation tells you to do, and I'll do what I know he means you should do. So, for instance, the one that I love is people are always saying that Jesus loved people. He loved sinners, right? And, and we know if there's one certainty the world knows today, it is that Jesus loved sinners. Jesus hung with sinners. He, he liked to be with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. He partied with them. He loved them. He hung with them. And so they say, Jesus loves sinners. Well, that's a statement that has a huge amount of content. But take it at face value. What they're always saying is, you don't love sinners, but Jesus loves sinners. So whoever you are, what is it that you just did that doesn't love sinners the way Jesus did? And it's always calling sinners to repent. But they'll never say Jesus never called people to repentance. What they'll say is Jesus loves sinners. And the fog is blowing out of the fog machines and, and the subwoofers are booming and, and the candles and the liturgy and Jesus loves sinners. And all of a sudden, repentance is gone. So somebody who is, who is really stupid comes along and says, look, what you really mean by Jesus loving sinners is that you should never call sinners to repentance. And what's their response? Hater! That's not what I said! The mark of those who lean on their own understanding is they're unbelievably dishonest and circular. They're squirrely. Their paths of language, their paths of walking the path of their life is boop, 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 boop. But they talk as if they're a long, slow obedience in the same direction. They're not. 
one of the most frustrating things in ministry is to watch men who lean on their own understanding. Men particularly. Because men, when they lean on their own understanding, they always carry other people with them. And so if they're leaning on their own understanding, it means a lot of suffering for women and children. Okay? God ordained it. Don't complain. God made Adam first and then Eve. And so you watch men who lean on their own understanding, and the amazing thing about these men is that they're always telling you, they're forevermore telling you that the path that they have just this moment chosen, just this very moment, is a straight path. So they're always claiming that they've just made a decision which is going to make their path straight. So typically, they'll acknowledge that up until now, their path's been squirrely. You know, they're real good at admitting that their past path is squirrely, you know. Oh yeah, I've really been a screw-up, you know. I've done been a screw-up, and a screw-up, and a screw-up, but, 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 for the first, you, you know what's coming, for, for the first time in my life, when I get up in the morning now, I want to read the Bible. Uh, how many times we, have, we hear this? It's like, my whole life has been leaning on my own understanding, but I had a religious, ecstatic, mystical experience. And now you know God is leading me on the straight and narrow because now I want what? Well, I've stopped drinking, I've stopped smoking, I, I want to read the Bible, you know, I like talking to people about Jesus. Whatever it is, it's the latest attempt to deny the past and to say that a new leaf has been turned over, and always implicit in it is my path is now straight. Always. And every time I see that, I know that I'm dealing with a man whose mother and father never gave them the consequences of their squirreliness and never forced them to face up to the fact that they're actually crooked. (coughs) The Bible says he will make your paths straight. And of course that means sexual. The lie that being straight is not good and being queer and questioning is the lie that culture should be be gentle and affirming and, and sensitive towards the queer and questioning and hard nosed and punitive to the people that are straight and who command straightness just shows how perverse we are as a culture. What leads to comfort and security in a young man who's in the bound, bound up in lust? What leads to his security? <laughs> oh, this is complicated, so put on your thinking cap. Uh, it's better to marry than to burn. Now, that's, that's profound. Uh, it must take a great philosopher like, you know, Plato to come up with that one. You know, a young man. Did you know that the vast majority of the LGBTQ crowd is what? 
They're by. They're by. So now let's hear the Apostle Paul again. It's better to marry than to burn. Yeah, but marriage is so straight. Uh, yeah. But I have other sides of me. Uh, shut it down. I don't want to hear your queer, and I don't want to hear your questioning. And neither does your wife, by the way. My wife? Yeah, you just got married. Do you not remember? And there's a little one coming. Turns out you were fully capable of bearing responsibility once one single pastor told you that that's what it meant to follow God. (laughs) It's like, oh, please. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything we're living through today, the Apostle Paul knew more intimately than you and I do. You go back and read about sexuality in the ancient world. It's just boringly normal. And so what do we do? When we're young men and we feel the lust consuming us, what do we do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on you. But I'm not ready for marriage. Uh, Here's a secret. (laughs) None of us were. (laughs) I mean... And, and then we get married, and <laughs> I'm not ready to have children. <laughs> None of us were. When I think of, oh, my goodness. Oh. You know, my favorite story is with Heather. You know, we had two Advent loudspeakers, you know, and a Marantz amp. And so we'd put her in between the loudspeakers, and Mary Lee and I would hide ourselves, and she'd be sitting there playing on the carpet, right, she was at the stage where she could barely sit. And we'd play music out of one speaker, and she'd get acclimated to that side. And then quick, we'd throw the balance to the other side. And she'd, she'd do this. She'd go... <laughs> you know? And Meryl and I would laugh and laugh and laugh. We thought this was how to raise a child. <laughs> <You know? laughs> And if you ever get irritated with her, Doug, just remember, that was her childhood, you know. What? Yeah, yell in the other ear, yeah. And so you say, I'm not going to trust the Lord because I can't handle the responsibility of marriage. And the Apostle Paul says it's better to marry than to burn. And we say, oh, but it's more complicated than that. And I say to you, yeah, it's more complicated than that because you want to lean on your own understanding. Come on, admit it. This is is who we are. All right, now, let's assume, just for the sake of argument, that we want to lean on our own understanding because there are some things that God and the writers of Scripture in the ancient patriarchal world, all right, did not get about human existence. And so we have been enlightened, progress has progressed, you know, we have evolved, and so we can't just look at an ancient text and have, you know, what is profitable for the man of God, you know. We have to add a little bit of ourselves, right? Implicit in this is not just progress and evolution. Implicit in this also is that it is a fundamental goal of life to be independent. 
we believe that anyone who is unduly influenced by any authority figure in the decisions they make is a person who's not fully reached personhood. The more you are independent of authority in making your decisions, the more you are a real person. Independency is the sweet spot for decisions. So if there's something that's influencing you in your decisions in in an undue way, and of course we leave that undefined, it just, whenever we want to, we say, well, you're being unduly influenced, but typically it will be any influence from family, from parents, from the church. If you're able to make decisions without getting the counsel of your father, or of your mother, or of your children, or of your wife, or your husband, and especially of religion, then you're integrated, then you're independent, then you are the full flower of humankind. We don't want to say mankind, you know. You're Ayn Rand! And I'm telling you, she never listened to nobody because that woman understood what it was to be excellent and to work hard and to have initiative. Any of you know, read Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged, you know, Hillsdale College, you know, it's the whole libertarian thing, you know. And so what we all need to do is is train our children up in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will be independent. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. Who is it that sells this version of decision-making? Well, it's liberals, particularly the educational meritocracy, particularly the government. The government never tells you to be independent of the government's authority. Never. Okay? Liberals always are trying to bring more under the authority of the government. Okay? How many gallons the tank of your toilet holds? Doesn't matter if it flushes. (laughs) Now, okay, that's a cheap shot. I know that. But think of the small laws that the government has manufactured to replace God's simple big ones. So the liberals will tell you that if you throw out the influence of your parents of domestic authority, if you throw out the influence of the church, if you throw out the influence of the Bible, and if you're liberated to be queer in questioning, okay, that then you will be more fully a person and more in control of your destiny. Am I communicating? Is this not what we're always told? That as we throw out the old then the new ushers in freedom. Okay? I mean, I hope you guys see this. This is the bill of goods you're being sold constantly. That if you listen to those who are in authority over you, and those authorities are not the government, you will be in bondage. But if you if you listen to liberals and submit yourself to their progressive course for the world, that you will have freedom. Now, I ask you this. We've got 20 
of the best and brightest on a stage having a Democratic candidate debate. Okay? And even if you never watched a second of it, you know one thing they all hold in common. What is it? Well, there was this young chick from New York City. And you say, why are you saying chick? Well, because I'm trying to diminish her gravitas. And generally, that's the word I used when I was young to refer to a woman who was not to be taken seriously. A chick. This chick trots out a green agenda. And here are all these people who have been trained to be independent thinkers. And what do they all do? They'll fall over themselves to agree with the new green agenda that the chick brought them. Now listen, you can be green all you want. That's not my point. My point is, is this truly independent thinking? Is this truly freedom? You know that Al Gore's not going to give up his private jet. It's ludicrous. And yet, oh, oh, yeah, 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 green agenda, yeah, we're going to get rid of, you know, airplane flying, you know, and we're going we're to make all the, the fish healthy so they can mate and, 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 and just have fishies, 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 and, and, and we're going to just, we're going to the zoo, we're going to Japan, we're going to China, we're going everywhere, yep, 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 yep. There's no accountability, there's no rationality, so... When the liberal establishment of the government and education tell you that if you will make decisions that are independent of those authorities who call you to honor God, and that you should desire to be independent, to be a moral agent on your own without any undue influence from those people who God has placed over you, and they tell you that you should do that because you will then be free. You will then be more fully evolved as a human being. And that anybody that refuses that destiny is somebody who is in bondage. Somebody who can't think for themselves. Right? Right? Come on, Joe. Right? That's absolutely what they teach you. So look. Who's more independent thinking? Now, Everybody in this church knows, personally, I don't like President Trump. But if I have to choose an independent thinker, I mean, (laughs) if we have to choose one or the other version of New York City, at least he'll surprise me. (laughs) You know? And there's some merit in that. I'm getting bored. What I'm trying to do is get us to see that when the culture tries to get us to not trust God and to not live by his moral character and his perfections and his law, that it's a bill of goods we're being sold and it will result in misery for us and our spouse and for our children. And it will tear down our culture and our society, this nation that we love, our fatherland, our motherland, it will tear it 
down. We are the real lovers because we're the ones that love according to the Word of God. They don't love anyone because all they do is usher people to hell. That's what they do. And so don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't be afraid. Don't try to mess around with your decisions in a way that you can appear to be Christian to Christians and pagan to pagans. That's not all your heart. That's like, uh, that's, you know, the, the old expression, a grazed woodlot is neither good woodlot nor good grazing. Go whole hog for God. You know, John Piper says that, you know, the way to glorify God is by enjoying him forever. And I don't particularly like that because it just makes God's glory serve my lusts and my pride and my desires, you know. But I don't mind his point. And his point is that when we seek the glory of God instead of our own satisfaction, our own puny minds, the enjoyment is unbelievable that he gives us. But I don't want you to go for the enjoyment, honestly. I want you to go for the glory of God. I want you to trust him. with, And then you will see the truth that your ways, your paths become straight. And yes, by that I mean you will no longer be queer or questioning. You will see your sex as an assignment of God that's scary as all get out and that real men submit to. I remember talking to a man who spent many years in homosexuality, raised by a couple lesbians, and we were discussing uh, the difficulty of men who have been involved in the gay life getting married and having children. And he, he was telling me that he felt that one of the reasons that uh, a lot of gay men return to sodomy as a sin and give up on marriage and children is, uh, he said, because of the wedding night. I said, really? The wedding night? And he said, well, yeah, it's so hard knowing what to do. I said, dude, are you kidding me? Do you know what I say to every couple sometime during the wedding reception? I say, I tell them, look, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be really difficult. It's like everything else. You have to have practice and learn. So don't expect that tonight's going to like bust out all the things you've ever hoped for, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. It's going to be difficult. And he said, seriously? And he's married with kids. And I said, yes, seriously. And he said, gay men need to know that. Because they always think that the reason they have difficulty is because they're gay. I said, no, dude. Every man has difficulty loving a woman. That's why we sing about it. We sing to convince ourselves. Okay, all right. I'm going to end with a testimony. When you look around the world and you look at churches and you see the churches that put people in this church in pain, 
because their family's broken up because another church refuses to trust in the Lord, and instead it gives the half gospel. And so they lose their loved ones to those churches because those churches have found a nice place to stand where they don't open their mouths about wifely submission, where they don't open their mouths about queer and questioning, where they don't open their mouths about greed. There's never a building program in those churches that doesn't come from equity in the bank. <laughs> you know, their capital campaigns are easy. And you see people leaving their home, or you see husbands and wives making a decision whether or not to go to churches that will leave them alone as they trust in their own understanding, or to go to a church where they're always challenged to trust in the Lord and not lean on their own understanding. It gets very personal, and you begin to feel the pain of trusting in the Lord, the real pain. And you think, is it really worth it? Is it really necessary? Why don't we just go along to get, get along? You know, let's all, let's, let's create a denomination and we'll call it the Rodney King denomination. You know, can't we all get along? Just. And that's our highest aspiration is to just get along, but have a certain religious Christianized veneer to what we do Sunday mornings or whenever we do it, right? So here's my testimony. I have spent a lot of years not trusting God in various things as a pastor. And some of the most serious decisions that I have made are decisions to not trust God and to lead my churches to not trust God. And so I'm not saying this in any way to create an image with you that I'm a man that trusts God. (laughs) You know, I always preach to myself. But I will say this. I, and I, I've said this a lot to, to younger pastors. I have never made a decision to honor God with a decision of the church or my own home that was painful where God's response was not a hundred times better than my fears were ever. God, as my father used to say, is no man's debtor. And he has promised that whatever we give, whether houses, land, children, whatever we give to him, he says he will repay a hundred times in heaven. Are any of you on the ball? Any of you on the ball? He doesn't say in heaven. He says a hundred times here and in the life to come. And I'm here to testify that that is true. You never, ever trust in the Lord with all your heart without him pouring blessings out on you. And these blessings are not ethereal. They're not hypothetical. They're not mystical. (laughs) These blessings are wives and children. Now, we're not going back to patriarchy. You're not going to get another wife. Okay, I'm not saying polygamy or bigamy or whatever it is. I can never keep those two straight. But if you give up a wife, if she dies, if you give up children, if you give up land, if you give up cattle, what, if you give up, and this is the most intense one to American Christians today, 
if you give up respectability, I honestly think that that's the thing that's most difficult for us to give up today. He will repay those offerings on his altar a hundred times in this life and then even more in, in the world to come. And so for a number of years, I wanted to leave this church and I wanted to leave this community. It was too painful for me. And as I've told you, I had opportunities to do it. And I wanted to in the worst way. And I will tell you that often it was Jay Lee and Mary Lee who really kept me here. It wasn't me. But Jay Lee and Mary Lee, without having talked to each other, were both adamant that I must stay. And by the way, Mary Lee is my wife, and that's called biblical submission. And then you look at preaching to you as a congregation, which, you know, it doesn't matter to you. Dentists know that there are good patients and bad patients. Some people you want to be in their mouth and some you don't. And that's about analogous to being a doctor probably and about like being a pastor. I'm in your mouth. I'm in your heart. I'm in your brain. And so can you imagine how depressing it would be to preach to the congregation of the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, where they think a tightrope walker across their nave is a religious experience. You imagine preaching to rich congregations who are proud. You ever thought about that? But I get to preach to you. And you want me to. And at 65, can you think of any higher aspiration for a pastor than to have that privilege? I mean, come on. And so you look back over the years and you think, oh, he wanted to leave. Why did he want to leave? And I say, because I was trusting in my own understanding. I thought if I was going to get what I wanted, I would have to leave. But no, what I had to do was stay for year after year after year. And so just look at me and think of being the pastor of this church at this point in my life. I mean, where would I rather be? Everything I know about other pastors in other churches, I mean, Stephen knows a lot of pastors in churches. There are a lot of you that know a lot of pastors in churches. And if you had your choice, where would you be a pastor, David? I mean, honestly, (laughs) you know, what's there not to love? I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, I got a lot of problems. I know that. And so do you. But you trust in the Lord. When you want to leave, you don't leave. You don't lean on your own understanding. You don't take the cushy jobs. You don't go to the big university cities where the church is already large and is conservative. You just don't do it. You stay where God has planted you, and you don't pine, and you don't whine, and you don't moan. And as time goes on, you begin to see that hundredfold that's poured out on you. Can you imagine what it's like to work with David Carell? Have you ever thought about that? It's unbelievable. 
And I could say that about every single one of them. You know how much jealousy and envy and fighting there is among pastoral staffs? And we like each other. I mean, I know I like them. You'll have to ask them whether they like me, you know. <laughs> we, we really like each other. Now, what about your life? What about your life? Huh? God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> oh, my. Now then, again, trust in the Lord with how much? All your heart and Lean on your own under, in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will, he will straighten. He will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. A word of caution. Over the course of my lifetime, I've had a number of people who have gotten cancer. And cancer is not healing for your bones, is it? Bone cancer is not nice. And we read something like this and we think, well, you know, God's speaking metaphorically. It won't really heal your bones. Don't patronize God. Don't patronize God. God has opened wombs in this church that I never believed would be open. There are an awful lot of children here who have been born after many miscarriages. God is, God, there is nothing impossible for God. Don't you hedge off places of your life and squirrel away lack of trust in that place because even God can't help there. You think about your children who are not serving God. And you think to yourself, well, you know, the reason they're not serving God is when they were growing up, I trusted my own understanding. I didn't trust the Lord. And so now it's hopeless And so I'm not going to pray, and I'm not going to hope for that. And if I didn't trust God back at the beginning, I have no right to come back to God. Are you kidding? It's ludicrous. You come to God when you hear his voice. He says, today is the day. Now is the time to turn back to him. And God is the God who restores the ears the locusts have eaten. Don't patronize God. There's nothing that's impossible for God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we will trust you and that we will be like the nursing infant that's been weaned and is at the breast of its mother. That we will be quiet with you. 
that we will look to your hand and that we will hold it as a little baby holds our index finger or our little one. We pray, Father, that you will make us a meek and humble people and that we won't desire to be considered wise in the world eyes, that we will not take comfort in our SATs or in our GPA or in our degrees, but we pray that we will all aspire to have the terminal degree in the trust of God and in his wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.